They were high school sweethearts that got married and had two kids. It's the Brunigs. In the swamp of D.C. they tweet all day, but that's okay. They're the Brunigs. She is a journalist. He is a wonk. Wonk, wonk, wonk. They talk about the news or whatever they want. In the fight for justice, they're on your side. You can't deny it's the Brunigs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to our low-effort, low-quality podcast. This is Liz Brunig. This is my husband, Matt. Hi, everyone. Today, we welcome a special guest producer who's also with us in the studio. Yes, Claire. Claire. Claire's in her little... Bless you. (laughs) Claire's in her little swing and... uh, She's uh, taking in the room around her, which she has not been in before. Yeah, she hasn't really been in this room. This is her dining room slash studio. Um, Uh, Sound booth slash It's warmer than all the others because there's no AC in this room. Um, you know, I mean, it catches some AC yeah. sort of residual. Babies are into that, though. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it'll help. And she's swaddled, and she, but she's fully awake at this point, looking at us. So, which is new because uh, for the last couple of days she's been kind of out of it. Yeah, um, her eyes have been closed for probably eighty, ninety percent of the time. And now that's starting to shift somewhat. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I remember that a little bit. The other kid had her eyes open a lot more. Yeah, no, Jane was definitely more awake from the get go. Yeah. Um, I mean. Claire is awake, but she doesn't close open her eyes when she's awake, except yeah. for, you know, now about five no. days in, she started to do that. Yeah. So, Don't blame you, Claire. Also wish I could go through life uh, basically refusing to accept about 80% of the sensory input I get. Uh, but we'll get there in, in this special episode of the Brunigs, uh, a quick narrative on politics and having a kid over the past week. Yeah, uh, We thought we'd take you through our week chronologically, since this is sort of the climax to the season we've been building up to, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> talking about being pregnant. Um, so it all started on Monday. Yeah. Monday, we were told... Uh, to uh, show up at the hospital at six in the morning. Yeah. And I'm like, well, okay. There was uh, immediately some miscommunication between the uh, insurer and the hospital. The insurer being an HMO, that does not, however, within its provider, in-house provider system, does not have like a hospital or maternity wards. So that's one of the rare instances where you have to go out of the house, if yeah. you will, out of the house of Kaiser, which, uh, you know, is the experience most people have all the time with their insurance, where they're constantly having to go out of the house. Um, which, right. Uh, yeah. That's the entire program. But... For um, Kaiser, it's kind of rare that you have to go outside the Kaiser family of providers. Yes, and those providers are directly employed by Kaiser, right. I should say. It's, it's not a, just it's a, a network thing. Single payer, single provider situation. Essentially, yeah. So we show up at the hospital. I'm like, hi, I'm here. You know, we're so chipper. We've got our bags. I'm so ready to not be pregnant anymore. And they're like, uh, why are you here? Yeah, the, uh, well, well, and, and at first they were, when is your sort of induction scheduled for? And, right. well, like, nine o'clock. Yeah. And I was like, well, it's 630. Um, what? I'm like, the directions I got from Kaiser told me to be here two and a half hours early. They're like, oh, Kaiser gives horrible directions. Yeah. Well, they, they implied that these are surgery instructions. 
which you know birth is not surgery um, some sort of obnoxious miscommunication between the insurer and the provider as usual mm-hmm. so they're like listen uh we're really busy right now having a little bit of a baby boom another hospital in the area is diverting patients to us so uh yeah, so I mean, yeah, the, the, there's a very real, uh, it, it felt very like a central planning type uh, situation it was very compelling to me that there are, you know, essentially in the DC, greater DC commuting zone, a certain number of beds that are available for people to give birth in, right. spread across various hospitals with various insurers and various providers and so on, obviously, of course, with the beauty of a of a private system you have all of this this weird patchwork but at the end of the day they come into a kind of coherent whole and they say look we've only got across all the different hospitals you know 150 beds or whatever it happens to be um and that though they're full <laughs> like the other hospitals are full they're sending patients here and so you know we you gotta wait yeah they're like we gotta prioritize emergencies over scheduled inductions yeah the inductions has got to go behind the uh, people who you know water breaks and yeah that sort of thing in, in the queue which makes sense you know as a, as a planning function um, it makes sense so but you know we've got uh we got people in from out of town my god parents are in town i'm like great wonderful yeah, trying to coordinate oh lord with jane and the people who are watching jane and are they going to come in so it uh it, it, it was to complicate things quite a bit train wreck so you know we come home wait around i'm like so what do i do oh, wait for us we'll call you don't call us mm-hmm. okay so we sit around and i think about three the hospital calls like, yeah we've got a bed for you now come on in liz was like well i guess i guess you can't have inductions i guess inductions are uh, impossible and i have to go back to work and and so on and so forth there I, was was, a, I was legitimately worried about my leave i was like well oh yeah le- th- there was a know. legit like oh my god how are we going to deal with this because we've already put in the paperwork for leave starting now but if i don't have a kid now and i have to wait a few days <laughs> right like and, and it's not clear how long the delay is so like and i have to redo all that i guess like, i don't even know and again because of how maternity leave works in the united states there's a third party that administers the post maternity leave prudential insurance in this case there's a third party and yes. so i'm like so i'm gonna have to go back through kaiser and have them verify for prudential that due to a hospital problem i was not able to induce on the date that we actually told them and so the leave i guess would start later and yeah. then you would front load like you would take sick days for the other days have to or notify the like post that. so i mean i was there's no like you know, a paid time off bank it's like right. they're sick there's vacation there's, there's the short-term disability time <laughs> you know, all these different buckets that are eligible for different things so so there was some concern over that. I was concerned about that. And uh, then they called. We go in. Yeah. Thankfully, they did, they did call three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Um, and and we, we showed up and there there was a bed. There was a bed and there was a TV in the room. And so we got to catch up on the week's politics. Yes. We uh, otherwise have been fairly unplugged because, you know, subsequent to that, there was uh birth having and then uh, sitting around in the hospital and, yeah. and then caring for the newborn. But we did catch the events of Monday evening on the uh, on the television. Uh, so you I could g- see that there was some, uh, the, especially the sort of uh, liberal networks like MSNBC were having a hard time figuring out how to get their arms around this Nancy Pelosi versus AOC and Ilan Omar thing. Uh, like you got to see that whole thing collapse, which is really sad because you know Pelosi and gang had yeah. run this really ridiculous um, broadside against the 
I guess they're calling them the squad, which is the squad. You know, that's posting cringe, but you know, whatever it is, what it is. Um, and you know, we are gearing up for it. The House Democrats account, which I learned subsequently, is run by Hakeem Jeffries, <laughs> and they're um, like, "That's totally his account. We we really have nothing to do with it." I, there was a bunch of scrambling. Well, he's like the head of the caucus, so I guess yeah. it makes some sense. And you got to get that spot now just to get a hold of that account. But they were posting all that. You know, they were posting all this crap against the squad, going into the New York Times against the squad, and so on. Right. And then Trump just came in and you know did his usual thing uh, with the with the racism and whatnot um right and go back to your own countries etc cetera, etc cetera. and this gave nancy pelosi an opening to be like oh my god yeah no we democrats stand united in support of our blah 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 and it's just like the whole thing got clobbered and now we don't even get to sort of i guess reflect on how ridiculous the democrats were and really i mean frankly how, how much the democrats were basically laying them out on a platter like you don't want to say you know, I don't know, like Trump was emboldened and embiggened by uh, the way Pelosi and gang were treating uh, Tlib. And no, I mean, I just want to say that like every time someone complains about a leftist going on Tucker Carlson or something be- to agree with him, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, great. So now what you're making it look like is even the left mm-hmm. rejects X, Y, Z, whatever it is, open borders, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and it creates this image of a completely united America versus some problem. Mm-hmm. And that should be something that the left does not want to participate in vis-a-vis Tucker Carlson's political project. That is exactly what Pelosi did. Yes. She supplied Trump with that ammunition. Absolutely. Even the left rejects the radicalism yes. of, of AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Ilan Omar, Ayanna Presley. They hung them out there to dry. Trump seized on it, and then all of a sudden, we Democrats united stand, you know. And it we just, would not insult them in that particular way. It's just so tiresome. It's so tiresome, yeah. boring. And it gave this Nancy unfold. Pelosi an opportunity to move off of what had been an unpopular move. Yeah, um, she she got to back off of it while oh, yeah. still having staged her attack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they don't have to sort of pay the price for it, I suppose, whatever that might mean. Right. Um, and they still get away with what they were initially trying to do, which is chill primary challengers. Yes. Right. And just generally hate on the left of the party. Yeah, discipline so, the left wing of the party. So it is Trump, what it Trump is. Trump gave them an enormous gift. We got gift. to solve that. I got to see the, the squad do their press conference, which was fine, I suppose. Um, you know. I mean, you, know. you can't expect them to just completely open up on Pelosi, although AOC was pretty vocal considering what could happen to her. But they should, though. I mean, they should. They absolutely should, you know. But it is what it is, I guess. Yeah. You know, you don't get these clean games, unfortunately. I'm yeah. glad at least that if I was going to miss a week, it was that week. Um, yeah, as far it's as things so shameful. And then, um, uh, and then we had the uh, interesting Simone Sanders that was the highlight Medicare you know i don't all. ever really watch these shows i used to watch fox news a lot but i don't even do that much anymore um mainly because we're always just watching like children's youtube videos um but i got to watch cnn which i hadn't probably seen in a long time and they yeah. had simone sanders on because joe had released his health care plan yeah um so simone sanders is a joe biden campaign she's spokesperson. yeah campaign spokesperson um and well, what's funny is they released that on Monday, and because of the delay that we had, I was actually able to put out a piece. Yes, um, yes. In the few hours in between, in which I pointed out that three percent on insurance 
which is what Biden says. Biden says, oh, we're going to have 3% of people will still be uninsured under my system. Why on earth a Democrat is running on a non-universal health uh, platform? I, I can't quite understand. But he says three, only 3% are going to be uninsured. I then used uh, some figures Cap had used in the past to show that that would mean 125,000 people would die well, you know. um, in the next 10 years um, due to uninsurance. Um, you know, cumulatively. Omelets, um, eggs. Yeah. Uh, in my piece, I actually compared it to, I said this was 42 9-11s worth of people. Oh, my God. Um, to try to contextualize it, which is something I've been doing for a long time when I was on Nader's campaign. And I mean, th- 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 this is a thing that people have been comparing healthcare deaths for a while to because it's so sort of alarming once you start. Right, right. It's like, okay, 125,000. I mean, that sounds like a lot. Is that a lot? What? You, and it's like, oh, you know how like tragic 9-11 was? Yeah, imagine that like four times a year. Right. That's that's what it is to be in uh, Biden care, uh, if you will, in terms of unnecessary deaths. Uh, the Daily Beast at one point, I think, picked up a piece that was like, the uh, Sanders people were comparing Biden care to 9-11 or something that sort of just uh maybe it was a daily caller I don't know that just sort of rolled on by anyways Simone Sanders is called up on CNN to uh you know give comments about Biden care that's her job um and the way Biden is trying to message it is he's trying to do this thing, you know, because because Biden is as an as an individual just completely repugnant. Is like, yeah, he, he cannot be the the f- uh, principal of his own campaign, unfortunately. Well, I mean, in terms of yeah, going on, he wouldn't go on TV. Obviously, he's got better things to do than go on CNN at you know four o'clock. But in general, Biden is not running as Biden. He's trying to run as Obama. Obama's friend as the the lover of Obama because Obama's very popular Biden never has been he's always been very failed uh, figure at least in national politics repeatedly in Delaware he's done fine you know representing the credit card companies and all the rest of it say what you will about that but um and so his whole thing is he's like he's trying to basically be like Medicare and and Clinton did this as well yeah Medicare for all is an insult to Obama. It destroys the beauty of Obamacare. It's really funny to me. It reminds me of like, it's like, you know, uh, in sports or something, you would have like this iconic coach, you know, this coach, he loved to run the ball. He loved to, to do the triple option or whatever the hell his like shtick was. Yeah. And then, you know, eventually the coach retires and a new coach comes in and it's like, you know, the new coach does his thing and then, and then people are just like, I can't believe this new coach ruining the identity the character of this program that was built by such and such it's like it's real goofy shit right because it's like guys um the healthcare system does not exist and should not exist to glorify the dear leader right like we're trying to get people health care like like forever because we want to hold up like a, a basically a living plaque to obama we're going to maintain a system that may or may not be good Right, like right. there it is. Here's our statue to Obama. This goofy ass healthcare system. But that is legitimately um, how they're arguing against him for a at this point. And that's maybe how it's he's just trying a to primary do primary thing because Obama's so popular with Democrats in particular. Yes, I don't know. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, no. I think this is how they they try to drive a wedge in the in the campaign itself is to be like, I'm for Obama. Obama's my BFF, and so as a result of that, I'm supporting Obamacare, not Medicare yeah. for all. And you know the funny um, thing is. 
this discussion they're having about the like acceptable level of uninsurance deaths reminds me a lot of the Obama era discourse around the acceptable level of foreclosures. Yeah. Like you had some left criticism of the bailouts essentially um, and how Obama was going to handle the foreclosure crisis. Mm -hmm. And they, I mean, I remember, I think it was Geithner who had a remark who was like, oh, the banks can handle about this much Mm -hmm. uh, and we're going to accept X many hundreds of thousands of foreclosures. Mm -hmm. And that's a good enough deal for us. Yeah, I mean, in general, no one ever confronts Biden or like no one will run with the statistic. Maybe they will be able to get to it in the debate um, if Sanders brings it up or something. But short of that, no one ever like challenges that. I mean, it's weird because Cap, when when Trump was doing his Trump care stuff, Cap was like, if we go from our current system to Trump care, it will result in X amount of net new deaths each year based on the same math that I'm using. Right. And that was like a big thing and people promoted it and the politicians were big on it and so on. And at the time, I remember I was like, well, you know, Obamacare still has like 10 13 percent of people uninsured and so if we use that same math like obamacare is like a goddamn killing field of people as well i mean like trump care is twice as bad but but you know twice as bad as of still a huge amount of unnecessary death right right if that's the Um, metric you're using then what the hell why you know democrats don't get pushed in the same way on that um anyways simone goes on there and this is their shtick i'm doing obamacare right um and for starters this is sort of metaphysically strange because what like what is the essence of obamacare i guess i don't really like you're not he's not just saying i'm just going to keep the current system he's like i'm going to make significant reforms to the current system we're going to have a public option the public option is not just going to be on the exchanges it's also going to be in the employer market uh on the exchanges we're going to uh, increase the subsidies, um, t- especially for people who have more than 400% of the poverty line and income. And we have like, he has this whole laundry list of reforms, yeah. but like somehow it's still Obamacare. Um, someone online, when I posted, this was like, this is the, you know, the sort of ship of Obamacare problem. Yeah. Uh, you know, the ship of Theseus like type. Yeah. Issue. Yeah. Like, when is it no longer Obamacare? Yeah. Wh- at what point does it c- cease to become, cease to be Obamacare? Um, and then separately, Obama did a speech like a few months ago where he was like, there are good new ideas in the Democratic Party like Medicare for All. So like he's described yeah. Medicare for All as a good new idea. Um, we just need that clip. Yeah, so... And the battle for the, for the Obama legacy. But anyways, separate from that, the funny thing with Simone is she goes on to be his spokesperson. The problem is that she was uh, on the Sanders campaign in 2016. Right. She is, I mean, you know, as far as I can tell, I, I don't have anything against Simone personally. I've never met her or anything like she's that. A, she's a political operative. She's I mean, a political, yeah. job. This is her job. It's like someone who, you know, is a works corporate comms or she someone. She does messaging for campaigns. I someone mean, who is an ad guy yeah. who makes advertisements for all sorts of companies. Like, that's her thing. That's and a, like, it's a skill set you can have. Yeah. yeah. So, and it's a sort of for, it, you know, and it's for hire and, you know, to the, to the highest bidder or, or whatever and it she might is happen to be. she's not the first person on um, earth to wind up on different campaigns. No, there's, you know, the, there's a whole consultant a whole group in, yeah. in DC that's constantly like, you know, the campaigns have a bunch of money. <laughs> like, where do they spend the right, money? Right. Like, they spend it to hire these people and these people exist in a sector that basically exists to serve campaigns. Right. It's okay, I guess. I mean, I would never do that, but that's, there are people who do it. It is what it is. And the 
but the problem is that in this sort of bizarro world, you're not allowed to just be like, look, I'm um, a representative of Biden. Here's what Biden thinks. They do let people kind of do that when they're like in the White House press corps. Yeah. Like the person who comes out and speaks for yeah. Trump. Like they don't try to nail them personally because they're just like, what does Trump think? And they're allowed to just kind of be a, a, a voice for Trump. Yeah. yeah. But in the campaign context, for whatever reason, the spokespeople are understood to like, like there's this game you have to play where you're like i love biden that's why i joined biden's campaign well, the spokespeople I, are often hired for and i don't know if this is a, a relatively new development in politics but they're hired for their personal presentation so it, it's not just that they're like good orators who mm -hmm. answer questions well and handle the press well it's like uh they're hired because they in particular have a presence, they have a character, mm -hmm. they're known quantities, you can trust them. Mm -hmm. yeah. and so they, they have their own separate identity from the campaign that the campaign is trying to hook into. Right, they, they marshal their identity in service of the campaign. Right. And so, uh, you know, and whatever media, social media presence they have or trust they've built up with whatever constituency. So you can see why Simone Sanders was a, an interesting pick for Joe Biden because she had built this relationship with Bernie Sanders constituency. Sure. Yes. Um, and so, you know, they bring her on. So she is not in a position, it seems to me, to say like, look, this isn't what I think. This is just, this is the message of Joe Biden. She, so she's got to present it as like, in my view, and so this leads to this weird situation. Yes, yes. So while the weird situation is because she was on the campaign in 2016 for Sanders, she went all across media giving all sorts of interviews saying you know medicare for all is great even had uh, interview clips in which she says look we are based this is not a uh this is not a you know a, a knock on obamacare we're actually building on obamacare making it better etc cetera, etc cetera. like like she she has said all the things that biden is now saying the opposite of in essence, and there are clips of her doing it yeah. on CNN itself. They bring her in to talk about Biden care, which he released on Monday, and they just show her these clips right. of her saying the opposite of yes. what she's saying now. And she just sort of melts down and freaks out. And it just it's, it was very cringy TV. Um, and like anyone who's, who has any sort of brain is like, well, of course, like she was on that campaign and that was her job was to help them get their message across. Now she's on Biden's campaign and her job is to help them get her their message across. Why are you even, you know, comparing them? You know, these are not her opinions. We don't even know necessarily what her opinions are. She right. she's just serves a, a function. But there was a total freak out and the anchor, I forget which one it was, um, but she was like trying to even help her. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, I just think you have a really good perspective because you can tell us, you know, like why you evolved in this way. Like she yeah. was really trying to coach her to be like, look, you I can change my mind. You yeah. can tell a really good story about how I used to think this and then so on and so on. And instead, Simone was just, was just sort of panicked and didn't have anything to do, which was which was hilarious. And I mean, she ev funny... eventually said, well, it's about I came down on the side of protecting Obamacare. Yeah, even though she said, I mean, that doesn't work because they presented her no, a clip no. in which she's like, this is not against Obamacare. This is totally, this no, is a, you know, Obamacare it's, was good and this is better and we're building on it and so on. It's not like a, it's not a logical explanation of an evolution. And I think that made the obvious explanation all that much more obvious. Is, you know, I got hired by a different campaign, man. What do you want me to say? <laughs> uh, so it was like this, uh, this moment of naked 
political fact. Well, in some ways, I mean, I don't know. It's like, yeah, you probably, uh, given the way media want to treat the surrogates these days, you probably should pick a pick a side, if you will. Uh, yeah, be careful. Divide. You know, about uh, and the campaigns themselves and like might I said, think about it. That might it. be a newish development that, that campaign surrogates and consultants who work on these campaigns are now having to navigate is well, becoming yeah. characters in the campaign, which is its own, I mean, item of political theater. And so this was just an interesting moment where the political theater totally collapsed mm-hmm. and it was a, an obvious issue of economy, right? Like, I got another job. What do you want me to say? Anyways, that was fun. We were sitting in the... Uh, the birthing room. Yeah, we checked um, in around three. And watched watching CNN and uh, yeah. So they induced delivery. They induced labor, just with a chemical medication. Yeah. Uh, so they started doing that around six thirty. Six thirty p.m. They 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 apply the medicine, but it's it's a long acting. Uh, it takes, it takes a while. Four hours. So they huh. came back in at ten thirty. Mm-hmm. And with Jane, they gave us several rounds of this. And it's not painful or anything. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it's fine. Uh, Just priming the pump. The most annoying thing is that you can't get up and walk around. And, you know, you got it. You got IVs and yeah, all sorts shitty. of stuff on. So 10.30 p.m. they come in. They're like, wow, you know, you're really making some progress here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would recommend getting your epidural started. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hell yeah, I'm always up for an epidural. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. Some fentanyl. Some fent. So you got to wait around for the anesthesiologist. She came in about midnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did the epidural. And, uh, you know, I was flooded with fentanyl from that point. So I don't think I slept. But I, I was. I did. You did. I got some good sleep that night. I was on in, in a state of suspended animation. I was just sort of like thinking and drifting. And mm-hmm. it was kind of cool, honestly. Yeah, that's why people use it. Yeah, waking, dreaming, whatever. So about 5.50, some starts feeling a little bit different. Mm-hmm. They come in, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, you're almost there. You might have a baby by 8 a.m., mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Call us if anything changes. About 6.30, I'm like, yeah, Matt, you need to, you need to call somebody. Yep, Someone's, I called the nurse in. Something's going on. Push the button. Push the button. Nurse comes in. I'm like, hey, I don't, uh, something's happening here. They kind of were like, oh, maybe the epidural had worn off and you were starting to feel some pain or something. Um, I'm like, no, I think this is, and they're like, okay, well, let me call the doctor. So it's a teaching hospital. So there's a ton of people. We did separately, I should say, in in between these two events, uh, we heard someone, uh, I don't know how far away she was, uh, how many doors down, give birth without an epidural. Dude, Ooh, the nurses who were coming in were just like, I mean, it's I don't imp- know why they do it. It's impressive to watch, but I would not do that. Oh, my God. She was so loud. She was it it, it, it was like a horror movie. I mean, yes, it was someone's, like someone's killing her, like killing her, like screaming at the top of her lungs in pain for like a sustained 15 minutes. But she was like, I, I'm not having an epidural. I, I was guess. like, more power to you, honey. You're really ringing the mood down around here, though. <laughs> You're harshing the vibe. Yeah, no, otherwise it's very calm. It's like very it's serene. Lights are kind of down. And yeah, nurses are really pleasant and yeah. like upbeat. It's, a, it's all about babies. I mean, like it's kind of like a little nursery-like environment. Yeah, yeah. And then this lady's just dying over here. Whew. Anyway, uh, 6.30, you know, we call the doctors in and stuff. They're like, uh, you know, one sits down at the end of my bed to check. And she's like, oh, my God. that This is uh, uh other doctor. Come take a look. Uh, this progressed really quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were shocked. 
they're shocked by what they were feeling and in the space which was a head crown <laughs> in the space between the one doctor saying come take a look at this and the other doctor actually approaching the bed uh claire was born <laughs> yeah no she got there no they, they it was extremely quick um like from the time yeah i mean it was maybe 10 minutes 15 minutes um and you know given that they have to like summon the doctors who are sort of portably managing 10 women at yeah. a time you know they came in they couldn't even get one of the nurse started to try to put one of the stirrups up and they were just like no we can't forget it's, it yeah it's like <laughs> so like even the like 20 second process of getting the the stirrups up and you scoot it to the down into the bed they're like nope it's good we're gonna have to do it in the bed uh, and they go, happen. we're going to have a bed baby. A bed baby. And they, it was freaking out. Uh, people were trying to throw off their uh, hoodies and, you know, because the nurses scrubs. are wearing. Yeah. yeah and, they, and it was very chaotic because they were surprised by the speed of it. And this happened the first time as well, though. Yeah. With Jane, but not as. It wasn't as uh, intense as this. Yeah, yeah. Not as quick. That one was maybe like 25 minutes. And this one was maybe like 12 or 15 yeah, minutes. Yeah, if, if um, that. Two pushes, I think you said. There was a push for the head and a push for the body. Mm-hmm. And that was it. That was it. That was it. I mean, they didn't have time to count. There was no counting. There was no counting. No, there was, there no, was like, no telling. Dad, come push. over here and hold the hand and mm-hmm. and count for us or whatever. It was just like I wasn't. Even, I I kind of moved over near the near the end of the period, but there was so much scrambling. I was like, I'm gonna stay out of this until yeah. people get situated. Um, and yeah. but by the time they got situated, it was already born. Basically, she was born, and mm-hmm. that was it. And they kept asking me after she was born, "Is he okay? Is he okay?" Yeah, like, well, they were doing that during as well. I think they were wondering, like, why isn't he involved? And it's like, well, there were literally eight scrubbed up people, half yeah. of whom were students, two of whom were doctors, two of whom were nurses, all trying to figure out how to make this happen. Uh, which was, uh, you know, out, outside of the normal protocol of getting the stirrups and then the rest. And, and it was just so, yeah, I'm not going to like get in the way of that. And I kept um, thinking, you and know, I've already, I've already had, you know, yeah, already done one Jay. before. So they were like, uh, it occurred to me that every time someone, you know, if you're in a big group of people and someone's asking, is he okay? They're asking like, is he a snitch? <laughs> and like, that's what it sounded like to me. They like, thought I was going to say gonna something, throw up or yeah, faint they thought or you were going to have an issue with the blood. I was like, yeah, man, he's cool. I've known him for a while. No, no, he's, he's fine. I'm just chilling no out, letting you guys do your thing. Uh, and so that was it. I mean, Claire was born. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were like, wow, that that was very different. Mm-hmm. And a, a senior doctor said all's well that ends well. Yeah. A senior doctor <laughs> came in later and, was, you know, they had obviously briefed her on it and she was just like, yeah, I guess all's well as it ends well. Like she, it obviously had a, she <laughs> was not ideal uh, in, <laughs> in her imagination. Um, but you know, it, it played out. So it's well, fine. I was like, that's how it goes. These, mm-hmm. these Brunig kids, they're born quick. They come out fast. That's very, you know, obviously you hear all the stories, but I mean, that's, you know, it seems relatively easy that part of it and carrying it seemed much the harder on you than so much worse than the birth than for the me. birth which is just like a few minutes of uh mostly painless pushing because the epidural right yeah you so just it, feel some pressure is that it, what yeah you're it occurred to me that like when other women uh because we have pregnant friends talk to me about giving birth i'm like oh man look forward to it because you get out of being pregnant and like yeah, you get a big mass out of your ooh, body That's it's fantastic nice. you feel great afterwards in that respect and i'm like you know definitely don't sweat it you know get the mm-hmm. epidural and it'll be fine and it occurred to me that maybe my experience is somewhat unique obviously it's unique because both times the doctors were t- completely shocked at the speed of it 
but from the moment of induction to the moment of birth, Jane took 22 hours. Claire took, what, from 6.30, almost 12, about 12. 13 hours. Yeah. And that's painless. Yeah. And most of that's just waiting. Yeah. You just wait. So, like, I don't, I don't know if they have a distinction between, you know, the part of, you know, I don't know if they're, like, gradations of when certain, like, aspects of labor begin, but, like, the part where you're, like, oh, you know, sort of feeling it, it seems like, yeah. whatever you want to call that, that just from my observing it. 10, 15 10, minutes. 10, 15 minutes. Like, yeah. so quick. So, lucky us, and uh, and Claire is long. Yes, Claire She's is... very long, uh, baby. What, 20... 21 like inches 21 long. 21 inches, 6 pounds. 15 ounces. 15 ounces, so that puts her at... She's in a really weird percentile. 90th percentile height, <laughs> yeah. 22nd percentile weight. Or 24th percentile weight, 24th yeah. percentile weight, which so puts her at 2 percentile BMI. She's like a stick figure. Yeah, she's she, <laughs> she used uh, every increment of nutrition to grow long instead of to grow wide. To fatten up, yeah. Um, so, But the good news is she's fattening up considerably now. She'll get there. She'll get there. She loves eating. Um, loves to yes, eat. Yes, yeah, she eats better than Jane did. Yeah, um, it's at like this a age. snapping turtle. Yeah. Uh, but, but otherwise, uh, things are going pretty well. I'm well, fine. Uh, I was fine right after, and I'm fine now. Claire's yeah, good. They make you stay for yeah, a couple, sucks. for, I guess, only in our case, a little, uh, what? Well, I guess a little over a day. I think we left at like one or something yeah. like that the next day. So yeah. birth seven a.m. Leaving, stuff. yeah, they have to stay twenty four hours because the mother can hemorrhage at some point. They need to check the baby for various things that don't occur, I guess, until twenty four hours. So they ship you off into this other room, and and you have to uh, you have to sit in there and sleep. That room's smaller, um, yeah, which was a little annoying. That's obnoxious. Um, it was really tiny, but. You know, tons of Panera. We probably spent a hundred plus dollars at uh, the Panera Bread Company because that's what they have inside the uh, the hospital. Uh, they did have a very cool app though, where you could order the Panera, pay yeah. for it, and it was just sitting in a cubby when you got there. That you was optimal for you. You didn't have to speak to anybody, um, yeah. and it worked for every meal. It was incredibly well done. Um, so. That was nice. A few little bits of color, you know. There were a lot of medical students that were coming in. I guess we should... <laughs> we we have a choice of hospital because we're at Kaiser, which does not have like a hospital in-network, but has like agreements with all these various other hospitals that you can go to. And I think the sort of bougie option is to go to this hospital called Sibley. That's um, like supposed to be very nice. Yeah. This is like the country club maternity hospital. Um, but we are closer physically to this hospital called MedStar, which is also literally next door to the children's hospital. Yeah, close so, to you. Yeah, it seems like, oh, well, you know, closer, and if something bad happens, they can just move her next door to the children's hospital yeah. instead of having, you know. I also have a philosophical uh, agreement with teaching hospitals. It's a teaching hospital. Um, but because of all of these combinations, because it's a teaching hospital, because it's, you know more center into the city or whatever it yeah. is for whatever reason is just like a like a poor people hospital it's just a slice of life in dc you get like, everybody like it's that that's who goes to it i guess um i i, I guess people talk about it yeah. i guess that's how it's understood i don't know i mean it seems like any other hospital i've ever been in but the 
the clientele is different, I suppose. And, and so it was, was sort of funny because we were talking to the a med student, med yeah. student and, and like, you know, we, we get shit online or sometimes you get shit, I guess, like, oh, you're so young you know, to have kids. Well, people and so are on. like, you're having kids at 28 because you're a trad. Yeah, yeah you're I'm 25 like, or 28. Hell? 25 for the first one, 28 for the second one. And like within the, the class of people that goes to Sibley Hospital, where That's I'm sure odd. the yeah. average age of first, first birth is like 36. 32, uh, yeah. It's up in the 30s, right? Because you had that life cycle income problem we've talked about before. Yeah, and, and uh, but they... <laughs> there i don't know how we got talking about it to some degree but he was like well you're you're very old to give yeah. birth in this hospital you're an old mom for here yeah we don't have very many people your age give birth here yeah. uh, so i was like huh <laughs> <laughs> it was a very yeah uh, this goes to show you know i mean uh, i don't know everything's relative class I guess. differences are real <laughs> yes. tangible and also it's just like yeah i mean uh, i don't know like you're kind of telling on your yourself as a sort of Yuppie, uh, if you think that giving birth in your late twenties is uh, yeah is extremely uh, young, um, yeah, that's fairly typical uh, across the whole population. And then, of course, among working class people, it's much earlier than that. Um, right, right. I think the average is is down in the mid twenties, early twenties. Average age overall. of first birth overall is 25, which is when you, so yeah. you had a perfectly average sort of thing, but the average is across different class groups. I'm sure the average for our Right. Group if you is control like for education, you can see the class differences emerge. So 32 or something. Master's degrees, PhDs, so forth, these postgraduate degrees, that's when you start to see these increases and they have to do precisely with that level of education you need to get into the professional managerial class. Yeah. Education delays it. Um, maybe debt delays it to some degree. I also, imagine to a huge degree. Also, just, you know, I think if you're a working class person, I mean, I, you know, I don't know, I grew up in the, in this situation, like, uh, you're a little less precious about the career aspect. It's like, look, I, I, I will work a job for the rest of my life. Uh, right. Maybe I'll get some raises and promotions here and there in, in the context of the job. Like I might be, become some kind of deputy manager of this store or something, but you know, like basically your job you know there's nothing special or terribly exciting about your job and it's not really probably going to get much better right. so what am you know what am i doing like let me just have a family and then i have something that is uh, of interest to me that i can focus on focus like non-commodified yeah like whereas if you're in this group there's a lot of uh People get a lot more out of the work. So, sometimes I think because the work is somewhat more stimulating, but other times I think there's just sort of a, a status element to it. Um, and you see this in some of the uh, polling, like when they ask people, um, when it comes to your work, do you just consider it a job or does it provide you meaning and identity or something like that? Right. And there were these polls that were circulating of that sort when they were people were talking a lot about the job guarantee, which seems to have um, died off for whatever yeah, yeah, reason. Yeah, uh, and people would try to point to these polls and show up. But like when you actually looked at the polls and you broke it out down by income or broke it down by education or whatever, um, in fact, basically working class people were way more likely uh, to say, this is just a job. This does not provide me like meaning. I just, this is where I get money and survive, you know? Um, whereas higher educated upper class types were much more invested in it as a vehicle for their personal like self-actualization right. and stuff. 
And, and in fact, the majority of working class people did not say that it well, and gave I, them I meaning or identity. So, uh, you know, I, this is only anecdotal, but I think that having kids on the younger side, because these class differences necessitated, has become associated with as a you know with a lower class life pattern. That's true. So, you yeah, know, you can see sort of professional managerial middle class upwardly mobile people being like, oh, I want to stay away from that because that's a behavior that's yeah, yeah. associated with back, back in my uh, downwardly mobile people in, in, in my uh, day. And, and, and they would say, oh, oh, that's that's white trash stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. So that's kind of funny is like uh, <laughs> the class divide creates different uh, timings. And then yeah. because of the different timings those then become themselves associated with class. And since people hate the poor and hate working class people, they don't want to time their births in a similar way. So you you have Um, these material differences that produce tangible differences in life patterns. mm -hmm. And then those differences in life patterns become culture. Culture, super structural. Super structural. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, after that, you have uh, you have it reproduce itself, yeah, in a in a kind of intensifying spiral, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I love inequality. Yeah, it's inequality great. is wonderful, and uh, I guess this is just goes to show uh, if you, if you if you want to throw those bombs online, just just understand. Uh, ultimately, it's rooted in uh, hatred of the lower and working class. Uh, <laughs> maybe you don't uh, recognize don't this, but that. through a, <laughs> through a series of events, that's that's actually how you came to form that view. So, so you got you got to um, chew on that. That's something you got to think about. And so we we brought Claire home on Wednesday, I believe it was right because the birth yeah. was Tuesday, and we came home Wednesday afternoon or thereabouts. Yeah, and you know it was nice. Your parents were taking care of Jane, so we came in. It was was pretty tranquil. Yeah, yeah, it was nice. Uh, the, the babies at first are are actually not that hard to deal with because they're pretty sleepy, very deceptive. Um, yeah, it seems like you get a bit like a two week uh, uh, grace period, grace yeah. period before it goes bad. But um, there are still some sort of tricks. I'm, I'm interested to see how it goes a second time because not only obviously you have the experience of it previously like yeah. i'm interested to see does it feel as as hard does it did, will you know will i make similar mistakes will i do a better <laughs> job of it i don't know there, uh, were, there were definitely very trying moments with jane i don't know yes the, the kids are different but you also have the experience and you well, hope that that inoculates you somewhat against uh having the same level of uh, you know at least intense stress and yes, worry yeah. and and just frustration and that sort of thing i think knowing that it's that it's going to come to an end that they will grow up and you know will need less you know you know round the clock yeah uh, type stuff and they'll they'll eventually sleep through the night and all that kind of stuff um probably will help just having that knowledge i mean you, you had the knowledge obviously like abstractly um but to know to have actually seen it happen and so on, it's a little bit more visceral, um, I would imagine. But the what I've been thinking about is sort of tips and tricks because I was trying to assess this for my own sake. Uh, you know, we have a new baby. We've done a baby before. What are, what are some things that I've learned um, that... Yeah, what are your number one you know, tips and tricks? That could be applied... And so, you know, I feel like, you know, we have a we have a listenership that's about our our age and maybe some of them are, are having kids or are going to have kids. Uh, 
And so maybe it would be interesting to them. I don't know. Sound off. Uh, yeah, sound isn't. off in the comments uh, <laughs> if you want the, the uh, a special short episode on the Brunig parenting method for, but for newborns. A few things are this, right? One, yeah. um, redundancy is key along all axes. Um, and so that means, for example, you want to have a lot of onesies. I would so say so many. I would say have a few dress dress onesies. I don't know what you want to call them. <laughs> Cute ha- outfits. Have a few outfits that you like want. You know, if you people you know come over or whatever, and you you know, and you're into that sort of thing, uh, you know, that you can dress them to impress or whatnot. But short of that, just buy like t- you know, Costco twenty packs of plain the, white onesies. of the plain white onesies because. The thing is, they go through like two or three of them a day because they're constantly spitting up little bits yeah. and that sort of thing. So like, they you know. Have, uh, they have diaper issues sometimes. Yeah. So like, y- you know, you might put the thing on and then literally 10 minutes later, it's it's gone. It's a disaster. Yeah. And you want to have easy access. Just get, just get the easiest thing possible because yeah. if they're crying or they just thrown up or whatever and you're having to deal with these complicated snaps and all this kind of crap. That's like, not worth it. You don't want to deal with that. I've seen ones with the magnetic closures. Now it's pretty cool. Yeah, I might try that. But there are some that are like you have to snap all the way up the body. No way. No, no way. No, 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 no. Just snap right at the diaper area. Yeah. Um, and then the, you get the stretchy ones. The stretchy ones. Yeah. So there's that. There's redundancy in people, if you can. I mean, this time I'm we're we're both going to be off for about a month, um, which is going to be useful um, because yeah. you know one person can sleep while the other person does the other thing. You know, takes care of the kid and that sort of stuff. Um, redundancy, obviously, in diapers and wipes and just just a ton of materials yeah. that you want because because especially when they start crying and the crying is like. Is like engineered to just torment you uh, because you know yeah it's evolution. like evolutionary. No, no, go to Costco and get like a five million pack of just cleansing cloths. Yeah, you just need wash the rag type rags and yeah, you shit just, you can throw away honestly. Just you're gonna need it. Just get and 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 because you want to be able to go quickly with it. Because I would say, in fact, as a kind of overarching meta theory of managing it is like managing stress. Yeah, and managing sleep which connects to stress to some degree. That's the main thing. So you got to think about what manages stress the best. Yeah. And like redundancy and just sort of just, just being a, a wash in, uh, in surplus and slack yeah. materials that you can, you can call upon without right. being like, Oh my God, we've run out. What do we, what do I do? Like that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. it's key sleep wise. This is a little tricky, but like basically you just want to sleep all day long. Um, like as, the mu- baby sleeps, yeah. as much as you possibly can it's kind of tricky because if the baby goes to sleep during the day and you're not that tired you're kind of like oh this is nice i can you know read a book or yeah, do no, something like that no you can't no because later when you do want to go to sleep she might not want to go to sleep then and then now fatigue and stress start shooting up and you get you know like that's that's the part you're trying to avoid yeah. so if they're asleep you got to just go to sleep and just just deal just with it. Lay down, relax. Um, it'll happen. Yeah. Um, and then and avoid the temptation not to, not to do that um, until a little later. But that's this is the newborn. Yes. Phase. I would say I don't know um, if there are like mommy wars about this, but like the pumping is a big deal. Yeah. Um, uh, so she she's exclusively breastfed. She's actually been nursed on the podcast uh, <laughs> yeah. for a few times. Um, 
And uh, I mean, I pump, I guess it helps increase your milk supply if you're nursing and pumping Mm -hmm. uh, because it's a supply and demand type feature of the human body. Yeah, Um, the body keeps track of how much your, what the demand is. And so if you increase the demand, it increases the supply. And so Um, then you can lay in extra, basically. Yeah, so we've already, what, you feed them about one to two ounces per thing and we've put aside about five ounces you put them in these little bags you put a date on them you put how much how many ounces it are and then you freeze it and then if i'm really laid out or if i need to go out or something it's here once that gets built up then you're really killing it because now you can manage the sleep much better because the other person becomes capable of nursing yeah you can have one person who's like look i will take them for eight hours um like you could have the dad i guess we would say yeah. say i will take them for eight hours yeah. you can go ahead and go to sleep and it's fine if they're nursing right it's, off the breast it's all you yeah yeah there's no that cannot be done it's impossible so the uh the wonders of technology wonders of technology we're living in the future folks. have essentially created redundancy in breastfeeding which is nice. Yeah. But uh, there's also a, uh, you know, you got to follow the kid. They're all different. We've noticed that with this one already. The other kid loves pacifiers. Yeah, 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 Jane that's true. Jane loves pacifiers. Claire hates them. Claire has not. Yeah, she spits them out. Maybe she'll change on that, but for the time being. And Jane uh, liked them right off the bat. I'm going to try to get this snoo thing. That's into the big tech, yeah. This smart bassinet, which uh, responds to the baby's... Uh, behavior so like if the baby is fussing or whatever it it starts rocking or turning and kind of escalating the noise and that sort of stuff to try to soothe them so it's like an automatic uh you know i mean they have swings and stuff but the swings just run on an automatic setting we have one of those as well but this one is supposed to be dynamic and you can rent them because they're we'll so see. expensive. So I've, I've rented one that should be here soon. Um, we'll give it a shot. The, the good old fashioned swaddle still winner. The swaddle is huge. The miracle swaddle, which is much easier to use and much more effective. Got to apprehend the arms that, yeah, the arms need to be taken care of. And uh, if the arms are, are taken care of, they won't, she won't slap herself in the face yeah. and wake herself up. Baby's um, arms are the enemy of the baby. And that's a big key for sleep for sure. Um, but yeah, in general, I mean, it's just get as many people on hand as you can. Everything that can be done, like breastfeeding by only one person, try to make it so it can be done by yeah. everyone. <laughs> uh, redundancy in materials, redundancy, you know. And some of it's just difficult to do because like it would be lovely to have six months off like they do in other countries. God. But, uh, you know, I only only have a few weeks. Uh, yeah. So... Then, then it becomes a little more difficult, but you know, the hardest part it peaks at uh, two to three months. Yeah, yeah. If you read the stuff, and which was also our own experience, yeah. it's sort of uh, it's there's a kind of uh, there's a developmental period where they a, just cry a lot. There's a curve that occurs when it comes to uh, difficulty. Where at birth, they're at Fairly a certain easy, level of yeah. difficulty. Then it gets harder and harder from one month to two months to three months. Three months is the hardest because you had periods, and this apparently is not uncommon, where you would have like an hour and a half or two hours of just like unconsolable crying. And you would like sit there and hold and do everything you can. And uh, it's, a, it's a developmental stage. They just do it. Yeah. So three months is like the peak. Um, that's probably why you, like, <laughs> I don't know, one of the weird things about the Family Act, which is the... Uh, the hallmark 
um, sort of the democratic consensus paid leave program is it only gives you three months. And I remember thinking like based on these sort of developmental things, like you're saying a person needs to go to go back to work at the hardest, at the peak, the worst moment, which they're going to be so tired. Yeah. I mean, this is another thing with these paid leave stuff is like how productive can you realistically be at work? If you can stay home all day, you can kind of sleep with them. But if you have to go to work, you have to sleep at night. But they may not sleep consistently throughout the night. Like you, right. you, you can pick up your eight hours over the day if you can basically sleep all day because you're at home. But if you have to work and then you only have a certain, you know, you can't do that. And then you're sleep deprived. And then how effective are you at work? Especially if you're right. operating dangerous machinery or anything like that. Like, it, like the, we just sort of, I feel like there's a, these efforts to keep paid leave down on some theory that it's going to increase national output considerably, I feel like really misses the the ball on how yes. how productive. Uh, yeah, there's no way you go back at the absolute hardest period and then uh, everything's, you know. Oh, yeah. No, this is great. They're up all night. I get two hours and I'm going to come in and just really kill it at my job. Mm. You're going to have way more errors and also it's just i mean as a general matter like what is the what is the point of an affluent society if not that you don't have to just go hard on everyone all the time yeah like it's just nice to be like use of the redundancy in a rich society yeah it's like if we can produce this much stuff why don't you just give people more time off like you don't need an extra you know two three million people in the workplace um right but that's you, how we do it because you got to squeeze maximum productivity. Maximum productivity, even like degraded productivity of yeah. sleep deprived, stressed out, frustrated parents uh, who are also paying yeah. $2,500 a month in childcare or whatever. Uh, but nightmarish. But it only anyways. lasts a month or so. And then, you know. After three months, it, go, it gets easier. Month four is easier. Month five is easier. And it's just easier and easier from that point on. So. But yeah, that was our uh, baby episode. And so we have some special guests lined up coming up for you. Uh, Keep an eye out for that. And we'll see you later. We'll be back.